Welcome to All Ears Senior Living Success, where we talk with industry leaders to make sure you find success in your community. My name is Matt Riders, and I'm the co-founder of Eversound, a company dedicated to improving quality of life for older adults by giving them the gift of hearing. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by my friend Jody Guffey the Chief Operations Officer and owner of Radiant Senior Living. I've gotten to know Jody over the conference circuit and over the last couple of years. And if you define Radiant as sending out light, shining, or growing brightly, Jody encapsulates that through and through. I see her and how she interacts with others around her. And she's just so kind and just such an awesome person. So thanks for joining me today, Jody. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. That was a very sweet introduction. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, Jody, can you share a little bit of your background and how you got into senior living? Yeah, sure. I kind of grew up under the desk of my dad at about age three or four. Um, he started in the business. He was asked to just step in for an administrator of a skilled nursing back in the day, just step in. But that administrator wanted to go on leave and was just going to hang their license on the wall. And he was just going to step in and operate as a friend and kind of crazy those days. And um, uh, so that's where I went, you know, after daycare or whatnot. I spent my time in a skilled nursing building and I just fell in love with that, that cohort of people and how um, genuine they are and their stories and their history. And just, I've always been fascinated by them and fast forward, um, you know, I went my own direction in college, my undergraduate, and it kind of came full circle when I took a gerontology class as part of my science requirements and kind of just really, uh, connected with this professor and he said, really, you should consider getting your master's degree. And he got me into the Andrus Center, uh, the gerontology school for my master's degree at USC. So it kind of came full circle. I wasn't intending to stay in the family business, but um, I recognized it was truly a natural path for me and a passion. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how that happened. And then... Um, Right after college, I had my first administrator's position, and then I was administrator of two communities in Southern California. And then um, subsequently after that, as part of a secession plan with my family, my husband James and I bought the then parent company, and we rebranded it, um, kind of brought it up to 21st century standards, um, you know, got all the digital stuff going on, and um, so then we renamed it Radiant Senior Living, and you were right, it, that is about shining light, shining light in, you know, potentially tough, uh, tough situations, um, maybe just shining light to people to give them hope, um, encouragement in a new job, maybe. Um, so it is very much where, where our roots came from and that we wanted to be able to shine a radiant light in, into challenging situations and hopefully turn them for the better. So that's kind of a quick and fast history. No, I love that. And, you know, it's really cool to hear how you kind of grew up underneath your dad's desk there. And, you know, with your family being in this industry since I think I read somewhere like since 1973, I imagine you've seen everything and anything. And, you know, how have you seen it change throughout the course of your life so far? Oh, gosh. 
where to start? Well, I, you know, I remember when my dad was developing the business, it was just really build it and they will come. He really kind of was an overnighter as far as turning a profit fast. Um, so then, you know, that turned into more development. Development was easy. There was a ton of funding for it. Financing was not that challenging. Um, there was plenty of, if you even call them leads, they just, you know, you were just full and you always had a wait list. So that's definitely different, definitely different. And then, um, uh, our family kind of worked alongside a couple of pioneers here in Oregon, um, Karen Brown Wilson and, uh, Dr. Cliff Singer, who were cutting edge on taking skilled nursing patients and creating an environment that was more conducive to the needs of a person that had assisted living and memory care needs. So we developed a, a, an award-winning, honestly, an award-winning model for memory care communities um, that was very specifically devoted to architectural details, lighting, circular pathways, no dead-end hallways, um, smaller, intimate settings, uh, a lot of different things for residents with dementia. Um, and so once we kind of moved out of the skilled nursing business, we started down that path of specializing in what a patient is versus what a resident is. So that's a unique difference from way back when, if you will, is yeah. These are residents, they're not patients. And um, and then, you know, fast forward to, you know, what's something in between from way back then. Um, well, you know, having a, a lot of the conference circuits worked out there. Um, so, you know, going to, to Nick and going to Argentum and Asha and the leading ages and the, well, all of the senior living, all of them, that just wasn't a thing. So being able to connect with people and hear what others are doing um, and, and gleaning insight from, from other people and whether that's insight on what to maybe try or what to stay away from, that is, is a cool thing that has evolved that I really enjoy. And, um, and then fast forward to now, post-pandemic, um, it's learning almost a totally new model. So we used to talk about skilled nursing and assisted living, memory care, whatever, in, in this one conversation, and they are very uniquely different. They're just completely different worlds. That's kind of what I'm feeling now is we're in a, we're in a post-pandemic world that is uniquely different from what it was. What is not different is that we're still in the relationship business. Um, and we still are a needs-based um, industry. But significantly what has changed is um, when people are making the decision that they want to move in um, and those needs are becoming a higher acuity-based situation, so shorter-term stays, um, simply because they've waited longer or there's, there's a, I believe right now we're also looking at an economic, um, flattening where people are concerned about an uncertain future economically, whether that's 
am I going to be able to afford this um, versus uh, staying in my own home, bringing in services? Um, what does the market look like if I wanted to sell my home? I, you know, there's just so much uncertainty. I think people are, there's a, there's a fiscal challenge that we're up against right now. And then you can add all the interest rates and inflation to all that. And we've somewhat become unaffordable to a, a, a mass majority of people. There's a middle market that needs to be served. And I don't think we're doing that well yet. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for just kind of walking us through that. Um, you know, you definitely have seen and, and, and heard it all, which I, I love. And I just think it's, uh, you have a real realistic view of looking at some of this stuff too. And, you know, you'd mentioned early on, you know, I love the analogy of build it and they will come right. And then talking about the sales side. And I know you just did something really cool uh, on the sales side where you recently did a case study with welcome home CRM. I'm curious, what were you being challenged with and what were you hoping to learn going into that case study? Well, um, so we didn't know it was a case study. It turned into one just because okay. of what we did. So what happened was, um, you know, I have a fantastic team um, at Radiant that I, I get the pleasure of working with every day. And um, our VP of marketing, she's just Jenny. I'm going to give a shout out to Jenny Boss. Whoop, whoop. Um, she's just always challenging herself, which I love. She's, she's a goal setter and she loves to learn. And so she was constantly tasking herself with what she could learn about our leads, how they were coming in, how we are relevant in different kinds of searches. Um, what does our SEO look like? Staying on top of that on a regular basis. Um, SEO for those, I'll try not to speak an acronym, search engine optimization. Um, and how are we being found digitally, I guess I would say, is is critically important to the quality then that we could focus on. So if the majority of qualified leads are coming from some source and then a, the majority of not so qualified leads are coming from another, you know, how do we balance that out and put more of our maybe advertising or our focus or our SEO terms towards this other source that's going to give us more organic um, qualified leads. So we started to see, we started to measure that around 2019, I believe. And um, we started to see that, wow, um, we are outpacing third-party aggregators, a lot of them, organically. And we thought, what's happening here? And because that's kind of unheard of, right? Because they're paying massive amounts of money to stay, you know, at the top search term. And there we were a couple times and we're thinking, what is happening? How is this happening? So working with our, our digital partner and looking at what the trends were and they were asking us questions like, how did you do this? And we're not really knowing other than we have just been really focused on it. Um, I guess that which gets measured, right? So we'll, while we were looking at it, we realized that, so let me back up for a second. Any community of ours that is above 90% was never allowed to use a third party. So even if you had contracts, 
you you're not allowed to use use them because you don't need to pay for it. You're ninety percent. Right. You're going to be at a hundred and whatever. So um, that was just always a company policy that we had. Um, so we didn't have contracts signed at those communities. So therefore, if you didn't have a signed contract with a third party, then they can't uh, they they can't take your organic search leads because they're coming right to you most of the time if you're doing it right. And so we could see in some of our communities with high occupancy that you didn't need those contracts because we were living in that world. And then we started to see that we started to measure how much time our sales managers were spending on those leads from third party. I'm just going to call them aggregators. I'm not going to name any names. Just say it's a, a third source. Um, and we started to realize that they were spending a lot of time on leads that were either not qualified or they had been blanketed across so many different platforms that it was frustrating for them to talk to one more person. So the speed to lead became critically important. You basically have to, you know, wait there, your computer, phone, whatever it was at the time to jump on the, that lead before anybody else. And then, you know, maybe it wasn't even appropriate. So a lot of frustration around that. And we finally looked at this when we were getting to the point where we were going to cert- we were going to move from one CRM to another to welcome home. And we didn't want to take any of those, those third party leads over. Yeah. So we said, this is it. We're going to do this. We're going to rip this bandaid. We're going to cancel those contracts. This was a few months prior to the, to the switch over um, in CRMs. So we canceled those contracts. And what we saw happen is that our leads went down. Of course, right? Naturally, yep. But our move-ins went up. Wow. And so we, we you know, we're like, did we just crack the code? Um, because we're getting more move-ins and we have less leads and wow, that was directly attributed to that. We canceled those contracts. So, um, I'm not saying that that's for everybody. You really do have to do your homework. And it was a few years in the design that we were measuring things and watching them and, you know, moving, moving the puzzle pieces around, um, deciding which was the best sources for spending our digital dollars or or advertising dollars so that's kind of that's yeah that turned into a case study because then welcome home was measuring it for us and they said whoa how did you do this well <laughs> we measured it and and we kind of created the path that we somewhat stumbled on but then started to measure well i love it and i think you know a lot of the times you're looking at the the leads and determining where it's coming from, right? Like it's almost like one-on-one stuff now, but you know, we all had to like kind of get better adjusted to identifying where that was coming from. And it was amazing to see that, you know, those coming from the third-party aggregators were, you know, taking a lot of time to work, but weren't the best leads. And, you know, kudos to you guys for seeing that information and, and taking a leap of faith really that, uh, you know, cause I think it's become such an industry norm nowadays to work with those third-party aggregators. And it's almost like, you know, what something viewed as you have to do, but I think you guys kind of showed that you don't need to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like what, you know, we talk about the aggregator leads, but what sort of leads do you guys find are driving in the most number of move-ins? Like, where did you put those dollars, uh, and spending on that side? Well, so, 
uh, we really, really, really pushed. Again, we're in the relationship business, so we really pushed hard on. So the time that you've just saved and not chasing unqualified leads, we expect you to be out in the field. We expect we expect you to be connecting with new lead sources and nurturing um, active ones. So um, getting in front of people, and uh, we call it the Ford principle, and that's called family, family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. What do you know about not only a potential lead, but we consider all of our um, potential lead sources from referral partners to also need to be nurtured that way. So what do you know about them? So what do you know about their family? What do you know about their, their occupation? What do you know about what they like to do? Recreation, what are their dreams? As much of that as you can learn about a person, then you can nurture them from a, a human being and um, you know, walking into whatever discharge planner's office and dumping down, we, we call it dumping down, you know, muffin dumping, whatever you want to call it, is, is, has no value. But if you walk in there and you just want to introduce yourself, have a conversation, look at a, you know, maybe look around their desk. What, what do you see around there? Do they have a picture of their family? Ask questions about that. Do they maybe collect some kind of little Jotskis talking about that and really getting to know the person and then we also really started to focus on our team members. Do you really want to do this? Does it, is this, does this excite you to go out and meet people and nurture relationships? And that started to become a focus of who we were hiring. Are these relationship people? They can be great salespeople, but if they don't know how to put the brakes on when it comes to really getting to know somebody, then they tend to churn more often than really driving to the the core need. So with lead sources, we call it, that's uh, everything is relationship, but with, you know, potential referral partners, um, what business problem do they have that we can solve? Well, that's what we go in with. What is a discharge planner's biggest challenge? Let's solve that. What's a doctor's biggest challenge? Let's solve that. So with anybody, how can we help be a partner? I love that. Yeah, it's, it's what it's all about. I definitely have noticed too, it's, it's all about the relationships and solving other people's problems. I mean, if you're a good salesperson, that's the way to, to embrace that. And, uh, you know, I think those transactional sales are becoming fewer and further between, and it's really, how can I help someone achieve their goals and make it a win-win for, for both parties is, uh, yeah. Um, so what was like the biggest surprise coming out of doing this, this case study with welcome home or some of the stuff that happened before that, before you went into the case study, like anything that you were surprised about? Uh, yeah, that, that, that curve that, that yeah. went down and then the, the, but the move-ins went up, uh, our conversion rates were exponentially better. And it was, a a, tw a 2022 year in review study also that Welcome Home did where we looked at that and went, that wasn't our story. Isn't that interesting? So we looked at the industry averages too, and we said, oh, well, that really kind of wasn't what happened for us. I wonder why. And then we could point to that. And I think that's when Welcome Home said, whoa, we need to do a case study on this. Love that. And, and you know, holding true to the radiant philosophy, right? You're shining light on those leads that are actually driving move-ins. Um, and my, my final question here for you, Jody, and you, and my favorite, 
But if you were to give other senior living providers just three guiding principles as they're moving throughout the next 12 months, what would you say? Have an open mind, but don't let your brains fall out, number one. Uh, be patient. Those of us who've been doing this for a while know that we've had to ride a lot of different ways. Um, and there, we, we've got a uphill battle right now. It's uh, just about everybody in our industry. You know, we're trying to put deals together, not just the, not just the future resident or the staffing challenges that we talk about all the time at nauseum. It's, you know, we've got to be patient and open-minded about doing deals differently. Um, how do you structure a, a financial partnership that isn't quite what it used to be? Um, how do you make business still happen? And so have an open mind about doing things that you haven't done before. Um, and I think one of my favorite topics right now is serving the middle market. We've got to have a more affordable model. So I, I'm just encouraging every senior living operator or anybody that might be able to play into this need is what is what is that middle market? What does that look like? And how can we create affordable models? And I'm not talking, you know, super low income where you probably get state or federal dollars, although that would be nice. Um, it, it's more of what does an affordable model look like with a baby boomer generation coming in that wants all kinds of choices? You know, what does an a la carte program look like? What does a volunteer program look like where they can volunteer a certain amount of hours in the community, which they, I think they would love to do at, at, to whatever ability they have to do that. So it might be volunteering. Maybe they they help serve in the dining room or maybe they volunteer and they work, you know, a few hours in a gift shop or, you know, maybe they volunteer their time out in the outside community and they go serve meals uh, at the senior center, whatnot. They're, they're still part of an equitable proposal, right? Because they probably out in the community might be driving leads in. So, right, there's still an equitable participation there. So if we could be looking at some newer models to, of affordability, uh, I, I think that's where we really have to get in order to serve this huge wave that's coming in and without the staff to provide all of the services. You know, I get there's a lot of talk about AI and, and robots. And, and yes, there are definitely some things that, that can work well with that. Um, you know, serving robots and whatnot, but we're not going to replace the human element in our setting. So what does the human look like? And maybe it's a different type of cohort. Maybe we are letting the, uh, the older generations come back into the workforce in some capacity. And, uh, you know, maybe we are, which is my passion, maybe we're really nurturing the younger generations. I love to go into the high schools and talk about career paths and that doesn't necessarily mean taking care of old people. It could be, you know, you have a an interest in culinary and, well, we can start you in your f first culinary role and teach and train you for your dream of becoming the top executive chef at the Ritz-Carlton, whatever. There's, there's career paths. And in talking with the students and a few different studies from other um, companies, what we have is a generation coming in and, and they're afraid. 
the, their number one drive, driving force right now, which is crazy to me, is safety. And so I started saying, what does safety mean? I mean, what do they need? What is safe? Um, you know, they want to be in a safe environment where they don't think gun violence is coming at them. They want to be in a safe environment where they're not, you know, concerned about a, you know, next virus. They want to be in an environment where they can actually do good and do good for others. So we've got this next generation coming in that really needs to be nurtured at the space that they're in. And I can sell a safe environment and a, a sense of belonging and safety and security all day long in our environment. So I think that's, I'm really hopeful about that. Love it. Jody, I just want to thank you for your time here today and everything you do within our industry. Um, you know, I do look up to people like you and just appreciate all that you do. So thank you. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure. Good chatting with you. Always. If you'd like to know when we post the next episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're interested in how Eversound can help improve the quality of life in your community, find out more at eversoundhq.com.